Ah, you think you're slick, don't you? You think you could just release a little puff of air and walk away unscathed like you're pulling off a minor victimless crime like jaywalking or stealing a grape at the grocery store? Well, that was me. Setting up everything in the studio. You know, I thought I was clever. Sneaking out a quick little fart before stepping out for a smoke. I thought, who's gonna know? The room? The chairs? They can't judge me. So I leave the room with a little self-satisfied grin of a man who thinks he's outsmarted not just the room, but nature itself. So I go outside, smoke my cigarette, you know, contemplating the freedom of my intestinal liberation. And then I come in, and good lord, it's like the atmosphere itself is punishing me. It is fart city in here. I've walked into a fog of war. Except it's not... Fog and definitely not war, but something far more sinister, my own betrayal. I mean, was that really me? Did that apocalyptic fart cloud really emerge from my butt? I now find myself both the culprit and the victim in a one-man whodunit where everyone, including me, knows who did it. You know? It's like I boomerang myself into my own trap and now I have to live in the reality that I've basically crop dusted myself. Let me tell you, this cloud has a memory. It holds a grudge. You know, it's the vengeful spirit of farts past, and it's not forgiving. You know how, you know, when you think you're alone and you commit this little act, it's just between you and the universe? Like, you know, who's going to know? It's just a fart, right? Wrong, because I got a witness. You know, it's it's my new cat, Penguin. Remember her? And this cat is giving me a look like, like she's contemplating calling the cops on me. It's a nasty look. Like, dude, I can't believe you just did that. You're a monster. And this is coming from an animal that when we got her from a shelter where they all had serious butt drama, like we had to take her to a vet that specializes specifically in cat butts. For her to be judging me, she must think I'm some kind of terrorist to the sense of smell. Anyways, welcome to episode number who gives a shit of the Valley Boys. I am your host, Dave Weasel. Let's get this over with. All right, I was talking a little bit too much about the fart bomb. Sorry about that. But that wasn't my only social crime this week. Let this be... A guidebook to the landmines of social interaction. A kind of Emily Post for idiots, if you will. I was at the Irvine Spectrum, the hub of Southern California consumerism. It's like the United Nations, but everyone's wearing shorts and flip-flops. You've got every kind of person in there, including those relentlessly optimistic young parents pushing the apple of their eye in a stroller. So there we were, my partner in social crime and I, and she says, a little too loud, hey, look at that baby. Now let me tell you, when someone says, look at that baby... It's a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. But nothing, and I mean nothing, could have prepared me for this. Walking in a stroller was the most rotund, fattest child I've ever seen in my life. Okay, I'm talking about a baby that made the Michelin Man look malnourished. He was one onesie away from having his own zip code. This kid was the living embodiment of the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Looked exactly like it. I half expected him to pull out a little hat and start terrorizing New York City. Now, when someone prompts you with... Look at that baby. Society has scripted your one and only acceptable response. You say, cute. No questions asked. It's like the bless you after I sneeze. It's just what you do. But did I do that? Of course not. You know, in a moment of sheer astonishment, I said, wow. Now, wow is not an insult per se. But it's not an affirmation either. It's the social equivalent of hitting pause in the middle of a movie. You're not sure what's going to happen next and you're afraid to find out because let's be honest these parents who are already maneuvering a stroller that must feel like they're pushing a mini fridge on wheels they're not stupid they know they're pushing around a little tub of lard they must always hear look at that baby comments from strangers and sometimes those comments have an interlude an occasional wow you know i can't be the first guy 
But in a Hail Mary attempt to salvage my dignity and their feelings, I take on a cute right after. Like I'm trying to put a top hat on a garbage can. So it comes out like this. Wow. Cute. Like my brain had to buffer to reach the socially acceptable response. So here's my advice to you. If you're ever confronted with a baby of any sort, cute, ugly, thin, plump, whatever, just take the safe route. Stick with, oh, cute. Don't be the wow guy. Don't be me. The wow guy never wins. Especially not in the court of public opinion held at the Irvine Spectrum right next to the Wetzel's Pretzels in the Apple Store. <clears throat> Which, of course, there was a huge line at the Apple Store. They released a new iPhone and Apple Watch. You know, it's like, it, 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 it's the scene of the annual pilgrimage to acquire marginally improved versions of objects we already own. Okay, the line was snaking around the block like a parade for uh, redundant technology. And what's the grand occasion? It's the unveiling of the new iPhone and Apple Watch. Now, let me be clear. It's the same magic trick as last year, you know, with a new flourish at the end. It's like the tech version of Groundhog Day. But now when Bill Murray wakes up, his alarm clock has a slightly better display, but it plays the same song. And he thinks, oh, wow, I really need that. $1,000 later. Now, why does this uh, consumer carousel continue to spin at such a fast pace? It's because people fall for incremental changes, those minor tweaks. They sell it like it's the second coming of the wheel, but in reality, they just rounded the edges a little more, you know? It's like going from sliced bread to slightly more aerodynamic sliced bread. And people stand in line like it's bread in Soviet Russia. And the bread is baked by Steve Jobs' ghost. It's like a cult that brainwashed you into believing the church of upgrades. And I get it. We all want to feel like we're part of the future, even if that future is just a retread of last year with an extra sprinkle of irrelevance. We all want to be in the glow of the new, even when the new is a slightly different shade from the old. We're in an endless cycle of buying the next thing when the best thing from last year is perfectly good. It's like Bill Murray trying to make each Groundhog Day a smidgen better only to realize it's the same shitty day. And I'm not exempt from this madness, all right? My trajectory has been, um, I started with the iPhone 4, that was my first one, to the iPhone 6, and then in a shocking jump, to iPhone 14 last year, okay? So I went from the iPhone 6 to the iPhone 14. The 6 became such a relic, it was like carrying around a rotary phone at that point, you know? I could have sold that thing to a museum or an overly nostalgic hipster who wanted to remember what life was like when you couldn't open your phone with your face. And I was fine with it because I could still ignore text, could still take pictures, and I could still send all calls straight to voicemail just like the iPhone 14. But... I find it absolutely baffling that people trade up every year, you know, like they're in a perpetual state of tech FOMO. That stands for fear of missing out. But in this case, it should stand for fear of moderately old, because God forbid if you have last year's model. You know, people treat a, a year old iPhone like it's a first generation iPod. It's like a quaint artifact from a simpler time. And so as the earth continues to spin and we all line up for our yearly rite of consumer passage, cluster clutching onto our old devices like there's some sort of outdated currency. Just remember, your new iPhone is essentially the same pocket-sized life partner you had last year. The only difference is that you're a year closer to doing it all over again. And it's just like Bill Murray and Groundhog Day. You're stuck in a loop, except every loop costs you another $1,000. So go ahead, be a part of the cycle, but at least be self-aware enough to know you're basically in a tech version of Groundhog Day. <coughs> Fuck, I'm still a little bit sick. Still coughing a little bit. Uh, if you listened to the last episode, I was doing that a lot more. Um, what are we talking about? Lines. For, oh, do you know what else has long lines? Makeup stores. Okay. Sephora and Ulta. 
the makeup meccas of the modern world. You know, these places are like Ella's Island of beauty products. Everyone's arriving in masses, hoping to become a slightly more beautiful version of themselves. The lines are unbelievable. It's as if people are fighting for the last lifeboat on the Titanic. And here's a survival tip I've learned. If you're accompanying someone, a friend, a partner, anyone, and they're off gallivanting among the eyeliners and the and the blushes, do yourself a favor. Get in line immediately as soon as you walk in the store. Don't wander off to try and figure out why a tube of lip gloss is 40 bucks. You know, don't go sniff the colognes that just smell like a date rapist. Just get in line. So that happened to me. And there I was as soon as I got in, stood in line, holding a basket that isn't even mine. You know, I look like the least informed shopper in the world. The people behind me are probably thinking, look at that guy with a basket of assorted conflicting beauty products. He doesn't know what he's doing. And you know what? They're absolutely correct. But here's my strategy. If I get to the front before the person I'm with is done selecting which shade of indecisive red they want for their lips, I turn to the people behind me and I go, you can go ahead of me. You know, like I'm granting royal pardons. You there, you go free. Yes, with the mascara and the weird sponge thing or whatever. And why do I do that? Because it's like a pit stop in the grand race of errands, you know? If you're not careful, you'll get bogged down, trapped amid scents and pallets, and suddenly you're running late for every other thing you had planned that day. So, by standing in line, when your companion shops, you're essentially hacking the system, you know? You're beating Sephora at their own game. You're reducing your exposure to uh, impulse buy territory. And more importantly, you're getting out of there before they start playing that third Rihanna song in a row. You know, over the speakers and you start questioning all of your life choices. So if you want to make your Sephora or Ulta or whatever experience as efficient as possible, heed my advice. Become the unofficial line monitor. You'll thank me later. All right. People in there are just waiting to go to brunch anyway. That is the Ulta consumer. The socially acceptable morning drinks, you know, the mimosa and the Bloody Mary. All right. You see, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, how society just said, uh, you, sir or madame, may not have a vodka at 9 a.m. unless it's watered down by tomato juice, a celery stick, and preferably a tiny cheeseburger on a skewer as a garnish. But if you're seen, uh, you know, taking shots at 9 a.m., people will clutch their pearls and think you're some kind of degenerate. But if you toss in, toss in some uh, orange juice in there, suddenly you're in a brunch. You know, it's like we've all collectively decided that adding fruit juice to alcohol is the equivalent of a morning vitamin. It's kind of the adult version of the tooth fairy, you know? We all know it's bullshit, but we, we we know it's still fundamentally alcohol, but we decide to believe in it because it makes us feel better. You know, you're not an alcoholic. No, you're just cultured or celebrating something. No one ever tells stories of hitting rock bottom at brunch. You know, it's not like, oh, I lost my job, my spouse left me, and it all started with a mimosa at the Cheesecake Factory. But Bloody Marys are even better because it's almost like a meal. I mean... Some of them even come with enough garnish to fill a small salad bar, the celery, the olives, sometimes bacon, you know, you're basically getting your daily nutrients from a cocktail. It's a juice cleanse for people who've given up. You know, if you're slurping down a Bloody Mary, you're not an alcoholic, you're just resourceful. It's like saying, why, yes, I am getting my daily servings of vegetables, but also this vodka. And it's fantastic how we can bend the narrative to suit our needs, you know, like if someone, someone in a movie is drinking before noon, it's either a dark drama about their spiraling life, where it's a scene set in the 1960s when you could smoke on airplanes and doctors recommended camel crushes for stress relief. But if you're drinking a mimosa or a Bloody Mary, it's a romantic comedy and they're just being quirky and spontaneous. The human capacity for self, for self-deception is fascinating. We've created these little loopholes in social norms uh, so we could feel good about things we're not supposed to be doing. Like uh, society frowns upon drinking in the morning, but if you toss in a brunch menu, it's called a bottomless mimosa. And then suddenly, you're not only allowed, you're encouraged. It's not alcoholism, it's brunch. 
And everyone knows that's the place to absolve your sins on a Sunday morning. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but let's not kid ourselves. It's a terrible way to deal with your less than ideal habits. Now, I'm not talking about some weird mind voodoo from your eccentric neighbor who thinks aluminum foil could be used as a hat and a cooking instrument simultaneously. No, I'm talking about fume, F-U-M, but pronounced like fume without the environmental hazards. Fume takes a nuanced view of bad habits. You see, not everything about a bad habit is actually bad. It's like eating an ice cream sundae but finding out it's resting on a bed of raw onions. Like, let's just get rid of the onions, right? Fume is an innovative, award-nominated device that helps you do just that. Instead of electronics, fume is as natural as a folk singer's wardrobe. Instead of vapor, it uses flavored air. Like someone took the concept of breathing and said, let's add DLC content to that. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses all-natural, delicious flavors. It's like they took an, the essence of a farmer's market and said, let's make that an experience you could taste, minus the social interactions. Now, when I first tried Fume, I was skeptical. I thought, is this going to taste like someone just waved a strawberry in front of my face in the form of abstract flavor art? But no, it was flavorful, as if a fresh fruit stand exploded in my mouth, but like in a non-threatening way. And as for the feel, it's incredibly well-weighted, perfectly balanced, basically the gymnast of handheld habit alternatives. And it's got movable parts and magnets for fidgeting. My fingers had more to do than a teenager avoiding eye contact by texting. And the look of it, oh man, the look, the real wood and the shape give it a sense of aesthetic satisfaction. It's like you're in a Scandinavian design magazine, but without the feeling of furniture-based inadequacy. I felt cool using it, like James Dean if he were really into responsibly sourced holistic experiences. So, Fume has found a way to make breaking your bad habit not just bearable, but enjoyable. It's a habit you're free to relish, like re-watching your favorite movie but discovering a new scene every time. Just a quick note, Fume is not a guarantee for success. Everyone's journey to creating positive habit varies, but it's a device you can breathe through comfortably without any of the aforementioned bad. No promises, no absolutes, just a better, tastier, more fidget-free airway and a happier you. Stopping is something we can all put off because it's hard, but switching to Fume is easy, enjoyable, and even fun. Fume has served over 100,000 customers and has thousands of success stories, and there's no reason that can't be you. Join Fume in accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the journey pack today. Head to tryfume.com and use code VALLEYBOYS to save 10% off when you get the journey pack today. That's tryfum.com and use code VALLEYBOYS to save an additional 10% off your order today. The fall season. The leaves are changing, everyone's getting into the spirit of a pumpkin-spiced existential dread, and our schedules are packed tighter than a city bus at rush hour. We've got work, we've got social obligations, we've got, I don't know, artistic knitting classes to attend. So cooking, that's about as likely as me understanding how to operate a Roomba without consulting a manual written in four different languages, none of which are English. But you still want to eat well, because no one wants their dietary choices to resemble the floor of a movie theater after a children's matinee. Enter Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. They send you chef-prepared, dietitian-approved meals straight to your door. I mean, they've taken care of everything. It's like having a butler who's also a nutritionist. They've cut out that extra trip to the grocery store, the chopping, the prepping, the part where you accidentally cut yourself and remember you're out of Band-Aids. Factor has 34-plus weekly flavor-packed meals that are fresh, never frozen, because no one wants to find an icicle in their beef balingeon. And if you're feeling fancy, they've got these gourmet plush op options. We're talking premium ingredients like truffle butter, which is way fancier than any butter I've met. Got a busy day ahead? 
running from meeting to meeting and Zoom call to existential crisis, try their lunch to go options. They are so ready to eat, they practically hop in your mouth on their own. And for those of us keeping an eye on the old calorie count this autumn, they have calorie smart meals that are dietitian approved and delicious. It's like your meal plan has an ethical compass and a personal stylist. Now, if you're thinking, sure, this sounds convenient, but what about the environment? Is this going to turn me into Captain Planet's nemesis? Rest easy. Factor offsets 100% of their delivery emissions, sources 100% renewable electricity, and their seafood, sustainably sourced. It's like eating well and being a friend to Mother Nature without having to, you know, actually go outside and hug a tree. To top it off, they have over 45 add-ons like apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and various shakes and smoothies that are more satisfying than realizing you didn't miss your trash day pickup. So this September... Don't let meal prep turn into a series of regrettable fast food choices and sad desk salads. Get Factor. Choose your meals and enjoy having culinary excellence delivered right to your door. All you've got to do is heat for two minutes, eat, and return to conquering your inevitably chaotic life. No prep, no mess, just deliciousness in your favorite stretchy pants. Head to factormeals.com slash valleyboys50 and use code valleyboys50 to get 50% off. That's code valleyboys50 at factormeals.com slash valleyboys50 to get 50% off. In a world where global elites vie for the title of most evil, psychopathic, and warmonger e-pedophiles, one podcast is all that stands between liberty and total factory. That podcast is Liberty Tree. I mean, just... Like the first thing I find out, I'm sure you were as shocked as I was to learn that cannibalism is legal in 49 states. What matters is that if you thought the apocalypse would exempt you from paying taxes, the U.S. Internal (laughs) Revenue Service has some bad news for you. What is this woman smoking? Liberty Tree Podcast. New episodes every Tuesday. Speaking of Sundays, uh, the Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey thing, can we please give that a rest? I mean, it's like a mad scientist in a lab somewhere said, uh, what would happen if I combined America's Sweetheart with an NFL tight end? You know, and at first glance, it's like seeing a chihuahua hang out with a Great Dane. And you think, well, this is fun. What a what a weird little duo. But then a week later, I swear it's all that anybody's talking about. It's like the Bermuda Triangle of celebrity news. Once you're in, there's no way out. And it's fascinating how the mere act of Taylor Swift attending a football game to watch Travis Kelsey has become the who shot JR of our generation. Everybody has theories and speculations, you know, like some people are drawing hearts around photos of them like they're in a high school yearbook and others are talking about it like it's a geopolitical summit. Everyone's analyzing it frame by frame, speculating like, oh, did you see the way she clapped when he caught that pass? Clearly they're soulmates. And yeah, okay, here I am talking about it too, all right, for the inevitable, well, actually, some incel is going to send into my DMs, but whatever. The thing is, celebrities are allowed to go places and do things without us turning it into a week-long news cycle. Like, if Taylor Swift wants to watch a football game, she could do it um, without us treating it like she just announced her candidacy for president, you know? And if Travis Kelsey wants to hang out with a pop star, he could do it without it becoming a referendum on his athletic focus or whatever nonsense people are speculating about. But I get it. We all love a new, uh, a new story, a juicy tidbit. But the sheer longevity of this discourse is exhausting. It's like the media and all of Twitter turn into your aunt that you see at Thanksgiving who's a little bit too interested in your love life, you know? So Taylor, Travis, you two planning on any more touchdowns soon? Gross. But the thing is, no matter, 
no matter how tired we get of it, some new detail will emerge or or someone will post a mysterious emoji on Twitter and then we're off to the races again and it won't stop. Before you know it, we're a month in and this whole Swift Kelsey thing is 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 still showing up on your news feed between political scandals and cat videos. It's as inescapable as those terms and conditions have changed emails. So yeah, let's talk about it for the love of God. Can we talk about anything else? Literally anything else. But one thing I'll say that would be hilarious is if Taylor Swift, America's sweetheart, was doing the tomahawk chop at a Kansas City Chiefs game. You know, that's not just tiptoeing on a social landmine, that's tap dancing on it. I mean, just the thought of it plays out like a slow motion car crash that you can't look away from. You can see it. Her hand goes up. and Before it even comes down, you already know she's canceled. She's over. She's done. And by the way, the whole... Uh, Chief's name controversy, let's not forget the untapped potential for hilarity if it were the other way around, you know, in international support, sports. Imagine, you know, a soccer a soccer team adopting a Wild West motif and calling themselves the Cowboys or the Big Macs. That would be hilarious. Their chance would just be super size. And their mascot would be a fat, drunk, middle-aged white guy with a, without health insurance. So basically me. The women's team would be called the Karens. The coach is always yelling at the refs that he wants to speak to the manager. Oh, but they don't call them referees. They're, they're called frontline workers. And instead of bobbleheads, they hand out expired coupons. One team would have a mascot with a tinfoil hat, leading the crowd, chanting, you know, do your own research. Another team doesn't even play the sport. It's just a dog show with designer breeds. Fans argue about what golden doodles or cockapoos are better for their child's emotional development. Oh, man. Speaking of canine abominations. All right. If you've been tracking this on Instagram... At Dave Weasel, you'll know that uh, you, you'll know that I've become the unwilling host to a French bulldog for two weeks. Yes, two weeks. That's fourteen days for those of you who are counting, which I certainly am. If you've seen my uh, stand-up bit on YouTube about emotional support dogs, you already know that having a dog around is not my idea of emotional support. It's more like emotional taxation. Now I have nothing against dogs in general, but French bulldogs, man, they look like they look like if Bebop and Rocksteady from Ninja Turtles had a butt baby together. They look exactly like Earl, the dad from Dinosaurs, but the only lesson at the end is questioning your life choices. They sort of look like an avant-garde lawn ornament designed by a committee that never even met. Shaped like an actual dog dump log, but with chihuahua legs. And the smell. Good God, the smell. I'll tell you something, man. Forget about Weight Watchers, Atkins, or Keto. Just try eating a meal next to this creature. The aroma is so foul, your body's gag reflex becomes your new personal trainer, pushing you towards your fitness goals with a kamikaze assault on your nose. It's a diet plan that should be both recognized and immediately banned by the FDA. And that's coming from a guy that fumigated my own studio with a nuclear fart at the beginning of this episode. But I'm not blaming the dog for its existence. Far from it. I just wish that its existence was not within the walls of my home. You know, they say uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but can someone teach this dog the trick of not smelling like it just crawled out of a medieval sewer? Nine more days, everyone. Nine more days. It's like a reverse advent calendar where instead of opening a little door to get a piece of chocolate, I open a door each day to get a whiff of something that makes me lose all sense of guilt for not showering as much as I should in the summer. But whatever, man. It's not like I'm trying to impress anybody. That's for the dating world, showering. A social ritual that never ceases to confound or bewilder. It's like trying to navigate a labyrinth while blindfolded and spun around. Sort of a romantic pin-the-tail-on-the-donkey situation. But not all dates are created equal, okay? You've got coffee dates, lunch dates, and dinner dates, pretty much. They're like the three children of a family. One is uh, noncommittal and breezy. 
The middle child is overlooked but dependable, and the last one is a high-stakes game of social chess where every move is scrutinized. A coffee date is the uh, dating equivalent of a free trial subscription. You know, you get a small, possibly unsatisfying taste, but you don't have to commit long-term. No one has ever had a coffee date last more than an hour. That's an unspoken rule. It's like we've all collectively decided that 60 minutes is the maximum amount of time you can gauge interest over a cup of joe before someone has to say, I forgot to meet my meter, feed my meter, or meet it, I don't know. Or some other thinly veiled escape plan. You're not even eating, you're just drinking bean water while nervously fidgeting and mentally cycling through potential conversation topics like you're flipping through TV channels. But then there's a the lunch date, the sensible sedan of dates. This is the date uh, this is the date you have when you're not sure you want to sacrifice the possibility of something better later in the day. You know, it says, I like you, but I don't want to commit to you being the most exciting thing that happens to me today. The lunch date also has a time limit. You know, you both have to get back to work or life or whatever semblance of productivity you've managed to cobble together. It's dependable. It's safe. But no one's writing love songs about a Cobb salad, you know. But dinner, this is the big leagues. A dinner date is the Broadway musical of the dating world. There's a set time. You got to kind of dress up and halfway through someone might break into a song or at least a poetic monologue about their ex. A dinner date is a commitment both to the evening and to even the person across from you. Because let's be honest, the dinner date isn't about just dinner. Oh, no. It's about the lingering possibility of uh, what can happen afterwards. You know, the ever enticing dessert, if you will. The uh, titties getting honked, if you will. The ball's getting kicked around. You know what I mean. But time stretches on on a dinner date. You know, the evening The evening opens up like a choose-your-own-adventure book, and each choice you make, each lingering glance, each flirtatious comment is a potential pathway to something more. If coffee is a casual hello and lunch is a polite nod, then dinner is a full-on sultry tango, and you better have the strategic masterpiece of the pre-planned excuse. Oh, that's the ace up your sleeve, you know? That's the trap door underneath the restaurant table. It's an art. A veritable chess move on the grand scheme of love and carbohydrates. Now, the excuse should be vague, but socially acceptable, you know? An event that you should attend, but are undecided about, all right? For example, say you got a friend of a friend's birthday gathering because nothing says I have a life outside this date like going to celebrate the birth of someone you barely know. But it can't just be any birthday party. It's got to be filled with a mysterious allure, you know? Like, uh, it's attended by people you haven't seen in years and... Maybe someone who owes you money. I don't know. But this excuse lends a certain urgency to the date. It's like, I might have to go do this thing, but oh, wow, I wish I could stay and hear more about your vegan diet or collection of rare coins. But it also puts the other person on their best behavior if they want to get to the honking of the titties, if you will. You see, the beauty of the pre-planned excuse is that it functions as a social escape hatch, you know, a get-out-of-jail-free card. You can play that at any time. If the date goes well... Well, then the birthday party becomes the unfortunate commitment you wish you can get out of, but can't. Because it's for a friend of a friend, and you don't really care that much. It's with people you don't you haven't seen since college. No big deal. But if the date's going south faster than a migrating bird in winter, then that's a birthday bash. That's the social event of the season, a variable uh, a, a Met Gala in a, in a dingy bar, of course, but where the theme is existential regret mixed with poor lighting. You're not just choosing between another round of cocktails and a slice of birthday cake from a dubious bakery. You're choosing your own dating destiny, masterfully uh, veering between obligation and opportunity. <laughs> Again, don't take anything I have to say seriously. When I was a kid, I had a hamster named Los Angeles Kings. All right, we're going to cut it off there. Um, 
Make sure you follow us online at Valley Boys Pod on Twitter, at Valley Boys Podcast on Instagram. I am at Dave Weasel across the board. Need to point this out every time. I did not buy my blue check mark. That shit is lame. From Newport Beach, California, no longer the Valley Boys or Valley Boys at all. This is the Valley Boy from Orange County. So this is the Orange County Boy signing out. Good night.